Hello and welcome to The Yarn. As you may have guessed by the title, this is a podcast about the wool industry. And in this episode, we'll take you from the paddocks of Australia, where the best wool in the world is grown, to downtown Shanghai and hear of consumer sentiment and business conditions, given that is where a significant amount of wool is ultimately bought. We also head to the historic Yorkshire woolen mills of the UK and hear how they continue to keep wool front and centre of consumer taste and have been doing so for over two centuries. It's an episode of Wool Around the World. So welcome and thanks for joining us. My name's Marius Cumming. And in recent months, trade tensions have fueled uncertainty and economic downturn globally. The wool industry, of course, is not immune to this, and wool prices have been falling as demand has been dropping. How does this play out in the wool auction room itself? And what is the news from the trade? Andrew Howes is Elders District Wool Manager for Western Victoria and Lachlan Brown, the Southern Zone Wool Manager for Elders. He told me the auction rooms have certainly been not as vibrant of late. Looking at it from, a, uh, I suppose, an overall perspective, really confidence in China is, is down from what we're hearing from the trade, from exporters and processors. Uh, that's both on a consumer level and for the processing sector. So on the back of the American and, and Chinese um, trade tensions there, we're seeing uh, a reduction in demand and um, on the back of that uncertain outlook and it's having a, an immediate impact in the auction room. So you guys both spend a lot of time in the auction room and so you're really at the coalface of that, that first exchange. Um, who are those in the auction room that are driving uh, this current uh, situation? Is it uh, top makers? Is it exporters? Who are the people that are, uh, are really putting their hand down rather than up? How's he? Well, uh, I mean, the major ones that, are, that continue to buy, people like TNU, they've still got um, commitments to make to their mills. They're still in there. It's difficult for some of the traders because of the low supply. They can't put a box together and hope that they'll sell it later because they're unsure of that demand. Um, but they're also too frightened to sell short because there's not much supply, so they don't want to get caught out. So some of those trading companies are probably finding it a little bit difficult to trade, but ones that are getting indent orders from some of the mills overseas, but those those orders are haphazard. They come as they need them. There's no real um, early warning or any sort of indication that they're going to come. They sort of arrive out of the blue, and as they arrive, people will buy. But if you're in a, a trading position, if you're trying to trade, well, it's, it's difficult times to find a level that they'll, the Chinese will buy it um, and also with that lack of supply limit really what you're confident in putting together a box and st- you know, having it in stock and then selling it later so it's, it's difficult for the buyers at the moment to really get a, a handle on, on what, they can, what they can do. And what are they uh, telling you in terms or what are you picking up in terms of uh, the origins of this uncertainty? Is it how much of it is linked to the US-China trade tension? Yeah, I, I agree with Lockie, yeah, a lot of it. Um, so that the Chinese, when when things are tough, they tend to sort of buckle down and, and not be, you know, go out and wildly consume products. So it's it's not just wool. I think it's a whole tone of the economy over there, and I don't think it's restricted to China. I think the whole world, Europe, Brexit. There's lots of uncertainty around, and wool being a discretionary purchase, people are unsure of of how many garments they're going to sell, how much raw wool they're going to require. So. 
they're all just sort of feeling their way a little bit, I think, for sure. And, and if we get some clearer signals, you know, if, if Trump can come up with a with a plan with, with China, you might see a bit of a bounce, but until then, people are just waiting to see how much product they sell before they commit themselves to buying too much wool. And in the meantime, we have wool growers uh, who have the option to pass in wool and not sell it at auction, and those pass-in rates have been very high um, by historical uh, terms, so growers clearly not accepting the lower market. Well, I think they've, they've some get caught out by the sudden drop, so they'll, they'll, um, they're almost conditioned to sort of um, value their wool at what, the, what they've been told the, the brokers said it roughly it's worth based on the week before, um, and they can get caught out by these sudden drops. Um, but the, the lack of supply, and um, we've all expected the market to be reasonably firm and um, you've, you've got a good product and it's a lot lower than what you expected. With a lower supply, you're thinking, well, things may pick up, but it just hasn't seemed to have panned out that way at the moment. And, of course, uh, we have uh, an ongoing drought in uh, major wool-growing regions of Australia. Um, Lockie, you've recently been to uh, the Riverina where it looked pretty average. And what are the, what's the quality of wool coming through? How is that uh, reflected in uh, the type of wool that's being seen in the auction room? Yeah, so certainly the droughts had a, a huge impact on, on yields and staple strength, and that's um, made it difficult for exporters and buyers to average up on those two specs over the past two to three months. Uh, yeah, so it has been a um, noticeable impact, and you know, we have seen an improvement in conditions in some areas, but many regions are still very, very dry and have had limited rain, and certainly we expect ongoing impact there in terms of low yields uh, hitting the market. Um, but as we come into spring, that will be offset by your southern areas coming into shearing and some more, more high-yielding wool hitting the market. So it should make it easier for those buyers to average up. However, yeah, the confidence from, from a grower perspective is very much dependent on how this season's travelling. And it's poles apart at the moment from one one area to the next. So, yeah, it's not exactly a rosy picture from a, a global economic point of view or even a, a production point of view from that point of view. But, um, Andrew, you obviously speak with a lot of wool growers. What, uh, what do you tell growers that uh, are looking at uh, selling wool? Do you tell them to accept the lower price or um, what's the advice that you have to your customers? Well, generally we, we try and um, encourage them to sell what the, the trader are really keen on, on buying. So the, the trade have certainly been trying to buy those better types and competing heavily for those in the room. So I think if you get good competition on your wall and um, they've certainly been trying to buy those types, then go ahead and sell it. If, you, if you're not getting a lot of interest and you're, and you're happy to hold on, you can maybe hang on and see if it improves but um, I'm generally of the opinion if, if you're getting good competition on your wool and the exporters are keen to buy that your wool um, sell it to them for sure Does that uh, line up with what you have to say uh, Lachlan? You... Yeah, yeah each, each client's different in their requirements and in terms of cash flow and the like, I mean we've seen enormous feed costs with this drought um, and you know, certainly the requirement for um, for proceeds to to offset that, but yeah, certainly you know when looking at the market, we yeah certainly encourage clients to um, at least uh, take some risk off the table, particularly in the current environment, and sell some of their clip. 
and you know, in terms of passing lots in, we, we look at what has the most potential upside. So, you know, it can be, and that can differ from from week to week. Um, and and we are with this small market getting wild swings in some in the prices of some types where it may be worthwhile passing in and and or holding out until we see some orders hit the marketplace for those particular walls. Okay, so uh, essentially the the overall message is that uh, we're looking for uh, a bit of a stable base in the market. Um, Hopefully better days are ahead. We are coming off uh, a couple of very stable years from a, a price point of view. Um, but we look forward to uh, a, a resolution in trade situations internationally and uh, definitely some more rain in crucial areas uh, in Australia. Lachlan Brown, Andrew Howes from Elders. Guys, thank you very much for having a yarn with us. Thanks, Maris. Now, soon we're going to head to downtown Shanghai with Ben Madrick, who will give us a snapshot of demand from China, that key demand that is driving a lot of the wool industry. But before we do, let's head to the UK and at the edge of the mountains in undulating heathlands, three river systems and a canal serve the city of Bradford in the Yorkshire County. Now, at the turn of the 19th century, Bradford was a small country town with a promising economy from small-scale wool spinning and cloth weaving. That was to change dramatically in a matter of decades because the area found itself at the centre of the Industrial Revolution with over 100 worsted mills in the Bradford town and district. It soon became the wool capital of the world. With a population of over 100,000 and the development of key engineering and manufacturing and it's actually continued that way ever since. Now, Ellie Bigwood is there right now. So, Ellie, it's over to you. Thanks, Marius. I'm here in the county of Yorkshire in Bradford, and I'm with the sales directors of John Foster and William Holstead, David and Matthew. Thank you for joining the yarn. Could you tell us a little bit about your mill and how wool is relevant to your business? Yes, our mill is one which has existed since, really since the uh, Industrial Revolution. Um, Wool is uh, a major part of our business. Um, We're weaving wool fabrics every day of the week and we're very well known around the world for uh, manufacturing and uh, selling wool fabrics. Those wool fabrics go into a variety of garments from suiting to jackets to overcoats But nowadays, with the fashion market as it is, who knows what kind of uh, garments they could go into. And the garment types have diversified, uh, especially in the last 20 years. What's the impact of the current UK economy on your business, if any? It should, by definition, with all the upheaval that we've got, be quite significant. However, we're not seeing any slowdown. Uh, The demand for wool seems to be very strong. There there may be a Brexit factor, but that Brexit factor seems to have only increased the demand for wool. Uh, We haven't seen any slowdown from the European fashion houses in France and Milan affecting our business. We are very uh, cautious, but uh, we're very fortunate in that the European and the Japanese market, which are very significant for the consumption of wool garments, seem to be still requesting and demanding fabric that we're producing. And David, do you see the demand of your fabrics increasing? Uh, we, we see reports recently that uh, in the business is dropping off in Italy. Uh, we shouldn't be overconfident, but at the same time, we are thinking that uh, the demand for a, a well-designed, 
well-crafted, beautiful cloth made of wool does seem to be there and seems to be growing. I think what we are benefiting from is a growth in individual tailored suits. And the definition of a tailored suit has changed significantly. It's not the bespoke, hand-stitched suit that a, an 80-year-old tailor would make, but it is a more modern version. And there seems to be a demand around the world and a growing business for individual tailors to actually start up and uh, create their own uh, business where they are servicing the clients of today. Matthew, how important is wool and Australian wool to your business model? Well, it's very important because almost all the wool we use uh, comes from Australia. Um, We may have a little bit of non-Australian wool in certain novelty yarns, but uh, in general, more than 90% of our wool must be coming from Australia. Yeah, I think even the products that are not 100% wool have a predominantly wool amount, you know, wool basis percentage of those fabrics. Uh, And as such, uh, the Australian Merino fabrics that we produce uh, is absolutely critical that uh, we continue to do that. And David, how do you keep your products relevant to the modern consumer? We spend a lot of time researching the colours and the designs that are required by the consumers and the customers. Uh, We've just completed, and it's now... Uh, June 2018, 19, sorry, 19, (laughs) and we've just finished our putting together our winter collections for 2021. Our designers are now already starting to think about what's going to be in the shops for summer 2021. So it's it's a a very very difficult task that we have, but we do spend a lot of time talking to our customers, our yarn suppliers, the likes of yourselves, Woolmark and other industry bodies, to try and understand what's required. Yes, we here at Woolmark and AWA have been very fortunate to experience and feel some of these beautiful fabrics and upcoming designs. Is there anything exciting that you might be able to share in terms of the development of wool fabrics that you can share to our listeners? Well, the, the new product that we've, we've shown you today, which is one that's definitely on the drawing board, is a uh, a brand new 13.75 micron fabric that we're bringing out. Uh, It is a little bit scary for us because it's very expensive, but uh, we're looking to launch that in January next year, uh, and that will be the pinnacle of the type of fabrics that we are producing. Predominantly, our main average micron is around about 19.5 micron. The, The wool price increasing has caused us a certain amount of concern internally, but generally that has been accepted by our consumers. Uh, our consumers are operating in the very top end, so they're always going to be producing and making and using wool. It's possible that some of the lower type of customer base may have actually switched to other fibres, but generally speaking, we haven't seen a slowdown for the consumption of wool. We have quite a long, fostered, healthy relationship with you guys. How long have you been working with the Walmart company for? Well, it put it this way it's so so long that really no one can remember when it started there's there's no particular start date that everyone um here um has been working with the Woolmark throughout their career since the day they started and how do you feel about your relationship with Woolmark and the wool growers of australia moving forward we feel it's very important because it keeps us in touch with the grower which is the source of the uh, the fiber that we need and uh, it reminds us that we're dealing with a natural product and it reminds us about the supply chain, which uh, can be easy to forget. 
Are you hearing anything from your clients in terms of trends that they're asking for and requesting for from you guys? Yes, there is a great interest in the origin story of the wool product. Um, There's a great interest in the uh, care of the animals in particular. That's a strong theme. And also the traceability. People are interested in the life cycle of the product. All these things are becoming uh, a strong trend, especially in the top end of the market, which is where our fabrics fit. Um, the, where the economy of our fabric works with the designer brands and the, the high-class tailors. These consumers are, are very interested in um, the background of the product that they're buying. And do you have any final messages to our wool growers in Australia who no doubt are very thankful for your use of their product? I think we are also very pleased and very thankful that... Uh, that they work so hard to produce such a beautiful fibre. And it's a fibre that we've spent our whole lives working in. You know, I've done 30 years, Matthew's done 25 years. And we produce a beautiful fabric that is well-loved and respected around the world. Well, thank you for your 30-plus years of expertise in this area. And we look forward to continuing to work with you down the track. Matthew, David, thanks for your time. And thank you for being on The Yarn today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Well, that's all from here in the Yorkshire County. Next, we head to downtown Shanghai to hear from those in China. Over to you, Ben Madwick. Thanks, Ellie. Today, I'm here at the Woolmark office in the former French concession of Shanghai, an area known for its shady, plain tree-lined streets and cafe culture. You wouldn't know that we're in the middle of a megacity with a population bigger than the whole of Australia. I'm here with Jeff Ma the country manager of China for the Walmart company. Jeff, thanks for having a chat with me. Now, China is about to overtake the US as the world's largest fashion retail market. How and why is the world of retail shifting in China? And what is Walmart doing to keep up? Thanks, Ben. You are right. I think the shift is powered by the consumption and technology. China will pass US as the largest fashion market in the world, And right now, one out of three purchases on luxury is actually made by Chinese consumer. I think that tech platforms and big data are disrupting the traditional retail, moving consumers from offline to online. And Wuma China just announced a new partnership, a two-year strategic partnership with Alibaba Group's Tmall to raise the profile of Australian Wu on the largest e-commerce platform in China to co-develop the very first Digital Wu Week later this year. I think this is totally in line with the 24-7 always-on consumer behavior in this digital age. And could it be said that this is in response to the rise of a new middle-class economy in China? Yeah, China has got 400 million middle-class population. I think this is the core target for all the marketing and communications for Wumark in China. Um, their spending power, sophistications, and their aspiration for the best quality will keep drive the new demand for Wu. In recent years, the economy growth is also shifting from tier one to hinterland cities such as Chengdu, Changsha, Wuhan, Xi'an, and etc. These new regional markets have all been growing very rapidly in population, infrastructure, and retail development. 
I think one of the key strategies in the next three years is to build a stronger presence in these new markets to recruit more consumers. So just for the listeners, a tier one city would be considered Shanghai, Beijing, Beijing Guangzhou. And then from there it goes tier two, tier three, and these, these cities are in more regional areas of China, but they are the areas with the highest percentage of growth at the moment. Yeah, more potentials for the future growth. So what is the Walmart company doing to transport local designers from China onto a global stage? The new generation of Chinese designers are redefining the fashion industry. We've seen more and more Chinese designers participate in the International Walmart Prize, presenting their cutting-edge design with a very deep understanding of Wu and innovations. And besides IWP, we also work very closely with Shanghai Fashion Week, Beijing Fashion Week, and tailor made a series of marketing programs to support and safeguard the Chinese designers. So behind this, uh, this education for these local designers, there needs to be an educated workforce and, and linking in with the manufacturing of the wool here. What do we do to assist the next generation of textile technicians, for example? I think what we can do is to connect the supply chain partners to some most innovative companies in the world who owns the leading technologies and machineries. For example, early this year, we organized a trade conference in Shanghai that you know, attracted 150 delegations and some very high profile speakers from companies like Microsoft who came to share the latest innovation in artificial intelligence and augmented reality that can really help the textile companies to upgrade in the process of design, co-design, and production. It was a very well-received event. I think we'll continue to do that in the coming years. So the manufacturing industry is not stagnant at all. It's, it's looking for new ways to process the wool fibre and, and thus holding these conferences is an important way to, to mix these industries together. You're right. So on the manufacturing, I've heard around the traps that many early stage processes have moved their factories to countries in Southeast Asia due to an increase in minimum wages in China and possibly tightening of water regulations. How far do you see this being taken? What I've seen is most other knitters, very few spinners, move their factories from China to Southeast Asia to arbitrage the lower cost of labor. Southeast Asia will present the growth opportunities in terms of trading and production for sure. However, they are yet to compete with large Chinese manufacturers on scale and skills. Chinese enterprises will continue invest in new machineries and smart technology. That is also on the top of China government's five-year plan to make the manufacturing and export market stay competitive. So the government has, has really highlighted that this is a continued avenue for them to, to invest a large amount of money in? Yeah, I think when you look at the Chinese economy growth in the last couple of years, 73% of the GDP growth comes from the private and domestic consumption right now. Unless, you know, more than 10 years ago, it was more dependent on the export market. Having said that, I think China government is also putting on a lot of you know, emphasis on the upgrade of the supply chain and manufacturing because export market will still be a very you know, crucial 
component of the GDP growth. So uh, I think the trade push and consumer pool will be equally important, you know, for AWI and Walmart in the next three years when we develop the strategic plans for China market. So in the world of wool, uh, China isn't going anywhere. It's here to stay. It will stay 80%. You know, will be processed and manufactured in China. Half of it will you know, be consumed by Chinese consumer. I think that's not going to change any soon. Great. Well, thanks very much for having a chat. Thanks, Ben. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this quick trip around the world of wool. Interesting times for the global economy, and hopefully we've been able to give you a snapshot of what is happening in the key areas of this great industry. Some headwinds, but undoubtedly still an underlying demand for wool, as consumers around the world look towards more sustainable clothing alternatives. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for all the feedback, and please leave a review on iTunes. But from me, Ben Madgwick, thanks for your company, and we look forward to catching you again soon. Thank you.